Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, joined as always by my main man, Justin Berg. It is NCAA tournament time, my friend. The Bearcats are headed to Nashville, as everybody already knows by now. They will be taking on Georgia State on Friday at 2 o'clock Eastern. And then, uh, if we assume correctly, we'll be playing... Uh, sometimes Sunday after five, uh, most likely is, is what I'm figuring out, Berg, if they're able to take on, take down Georgia state. Right. Because the, the site in Nashville and the potential matchup in the second round may not be one that like CBS is going to want to profile as one of the first two games. Right. So they're not going to probably be like a prime spot on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it, there's, there's. Three games on CBS, so they'll have one location that'll be 12 and 2.30, another location that'll be at 5 on CBS, and then that location, the second game, would be 7.30 on True TV, and then uh, TNT and TBS, one of them has 6 and 8.30, the other one has 7 and 9.30. So, ultimately, I expect – well, they could play the first game, so it wouldn't be as bad. But, ultimately, I expect a fairly late night uh, in Nashville uh, for, you know, if Cincinnati's able to beat Georgia State. Right. And how big of an if would that be in your mind? I feel pretty good about it. Um, they're dangerous, but I think it's a team that Cincinnati – should be able to handle. Um, obviously, uh, you know, you hate when you draw one of these mid-majors to draw a mid-major that's got an NBA-type guy, and DeMarcus Simmons is that. Um, good length, good athleticism, can get to the lane, takes a lot of shots, and he averages about 17 shots a game to get his uh, 20 points a game. But... Um, a team like that where it's it's really predicated on one guy, I feel pretty good about this Cincinnati team. Like, it, You know who they kind of remind me of? Who's that? Um, with a little less size even is SMU the first time. Right. That's what I was talking to LD about today because of the idea that they have so many good shooters on the perimeter and they the lead guy tries to drive the ball and draw the D – so the game plan would be to stay in front of – is it Simons or Simmons? I've heard both. I think – I don't know. Simons, you, Simmons. You go with Simmons. I'll go with Simons. All right. That we'll way one of us the, get it right, yeah. Right. And so, you know, a guy like him is you want to stay in front, and that way you don't have to help off those shooters if he does get into the painter or, you know, down the side of the lane or something. And that was the key when they beat SMU at home by 20 was that they just didn't have to leave shooters. And so SMU wasn't able to – to catch um, and line it up and shoot it or catch it in the shooting pocket and just stare down the rim and, and let it fly. So the key is just to make the passes that he has to make tougher or make him just be the guy who takes a ton of shots. Um, he's also somebody that can turn the ball over a little bit as well when he's pressured. So I don't know if Cincinnati wants to play a really, really fast pace in this game, but I imagine they'll, they'll apply some pressure to him and, and try to trap him a little bit. Well, I mean, both teams play the matchup zone. So I imagine there's not going to be a whole lot of tempo in this game. 
because that's just not something. I, I mean, unless you're turning them over a ton and, and getting out and running. Um, but ultimately, you know, playing against that zone defense, it's not going to be up and down. No, it's going to take a while to find shots usually, especially for Georgia State. But I, I don't think that Cincinnati wants to take quick shots anyway. It's just not. With, with the inside presences that they have, there's no reason to come down and just make one pass and shoot it. Right. Even if it is a pretty good look, because you're you're not moving the defense at all, it makes it harder to offensive rebound, number one. But number two, I mean, you have the player of the year in your league who's an inside presence in Gary Clark, and then Kyle Washington, when he's able to stay on the floor, he's going to have a huge size advantage. And as long as he's tough with the ball and doesn't get stripped a million times, um, he should be able to just – get that left-handed hook off anytime he wants. So UC is going to have to be surgical, but if you look at these numbers that that Georgia State is fourth in the country in field goal percentage defense, Cincinnati's second. So I, I, I was looking at their Ken Palm numbers, and I saw they were in the 20s in effective field goal percentage defense. I didn't know they were fourth in the entire nation in field goal percentage defense. Now that said, Chad, they also – what they do – what they do um, – end up doing is fouling a ton um they give up a lot of free throw attempts per game they try to strip everything because they're not they don't have a lot of size so uc could beat them at the foul line and georgia state doesn't get to the foul line a ton themselves so they they generally lose that free throw battle and uc's been winning it so if that holds true you would feel pretty good but still that number fourth in, in field goal percentage defense is is scary yeah um I mean, they are going to swarm the ball as soon as it gets anywhere inside the three-point line. Um, that's that's how they play the 25 defense for Cincinnati. Um, it's the same defense, but it's designed differently because you've got all the rim protection, um, you know, from Gary and Kyle and Jacob. Georgia State doesn't have that type of rim protection. So they, so they play the same defense. They just have to play it a lot differently. Um, Cincinnati's going to have to be strong with the ball. You know, Kyle is not going to be able to have those trips where he's just hell-bent on no matter what, I'm getting this shot on the rim. You yeah, know what I mean? And, exactly. And any anybody who, especially if you get the offensive rebound or if you get a, a post-entry feed, whether it's Brooks or Scott or anybody, if you try to put it on the floor – they're going to just going to rake at it and chances are they're going to strip it and they're going to dive on it and get it. So it, a lot of fundamentals needed in this game and, and just not, not forcing it when there's no need to force it. Like you mentioned with, with Washington, if, if he, they're going to converge on him I and mean, they're not just going to let him catch it and do that left-handed hook every time. I mean, they're going to be all over his left side. They're going to swarm him, double team him, triple team him. It's up to him to be patient and just find the open man. He doesn't have to make a crazy cross-court pass like he's been trying to do sometimes. Just the next guy who's open, just give the ball to that person and then repost or you know vacate the lane or whatever the case is. So, But but since they do match up and they do swarm, and you, the defense can be moved. And if, if UC is going to beat this defense and people talk about, you know, I wish they would make some shots and things like that, well, first and foremost, it's going to be beaten with good passing. Because the, the defense is not going to be able to outrun good passing. And eventually you'll get a shot that you can line up and you'll shoot a higher percentage, I think. So that's the best way to beat zone defense. And UC's seen some zone. I mean, they saw SMU play it in the first round of the uh, AAC tournament. 
and they haven't seen a ton of it this year, but I think that as long as they, as long as they're, they're unselfish and they're aggressive with their drives, but under control as well, then plenty of shots will be available. And then those shots can be offensive rebounded as well. Once the defense moves. Looking back at that first SMU game, which uh, the reason I keep harp, you know, looking back at that one is because Shake was there. Um, which, when you compare Shake to Simmons, that kind of gives you a, a light comparison uh, in terms of star player and then the shooters on the perimeter around him. Um, but offensively, they had 16 assists on 24 made baskets in that game. And then they went 20 of 29 from the free throw line. Uh, if you tell me they get 16 assists and they make 20 free throws, I'm pretty confident in, in a comfortable win against Georgia State. Right. Personally. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the, the turnovers are going to be something to watch just because, again, with the way that this team is undersized, they're 320th in the country in defensive rebounding percentage. So t- a turnover is just is, is killer, especially if it's live ball and you let them run down, and, and they'll be able to line up some threes in transition that you won't be able to get to. Right. So they're scary. It's, I mean, all, you know, whenever you go into the tournament and you're a high seed like this and you, you just want to do everything you can to avoid that upset and the team you're playing has nothing to lose and they have a lot of firepower and, they, like you said, they have a, a, a potential NBA sleeper type of player who's got the ball in his hands the whole game. This guy's usage rate is off the charts. He's like fifth, top five in the country in, in like number of possessions touching the ball or shots or whatever the case is. And they have a coach who he's, he's been around. And he's won tournament games as an yeah. underdog. I mean, he's won tournament games in these situations. So, one, you're going to have to keep the pressure on him. And if you get up big, you can't let up. I mean, if you remember that that Baylor game that they won a couple years back, um, they came back from like 13 points down in the final media timeout. Over like the yeah. final, you know, four minutes or whatever it was. And they, they made a big run then. Um, so you're going to have to keep the pressure on them because he's going to keep coaching to to push the issue. You know, he's not going to let his team give up. So um, that's going to be uh, something to keep an eye on. It, and it would behoove them, I think, to play well over those first two segments and have a, a nice lead going uh, going into the second portion of the first half because I think then they can expand on that and, and maybe be able to pull away a little bit and get some breathing room. Yeah, it's just – but I I don't know that you can – a team that's that this explosive from the three-point line and, and with a field goal percentage defense like that, it's going to be hard to, to get a big enough lead to where you feel comfortable. So it's going to – it's just gonna it's gonna take a, a really strong effort on on all fronts, and you're gonna need some contributions from your bench, and you're gonna I mean just the same formula that it is to beat anybody, but this team just has uh, a lot of weapons and a lot of possibilities to score the ball, and then they if you're sloppy offensively, then you can go into a drought, and the way they shoot the ball, it's gonna be hard to get separation. So. You you could say you could I mean you can worry about a million different things or you can look at the the potential positives and say this team is going to be really hard for them to to keep UC off the offensive glass and they foul a lot and and there's definitely reasons why UC should be able to put the ball in the basket now 
then you can look at the other side and say, <laughs> UC's free throw shooting lately has been very scary. Yeah. So, it, it, like I said, I mean, it's, it's the NCAA tournament. It, it's, it's hard not to worry about any opponent that you get matched up with. Yeah, at I least mean, for me, everybody's good. I mean, that's you know, and even the teams that, that that come in from the low major conferences that that pick up a you know a, a hot tournament win and, and get in, they're still dangerous. I mean, you know, the Texas Southern still has Demontre Jefferson, so there's still reason to be concerned. <laughs> yeah, and Georgia State has already played a team from the American Conference and beat them by eleven. That was Tulane. Yeah. Back, back in November, and that well, was at Georgia State. They lost by four at TCU. They went to Texas Tech and lost in overtime. Um, now, they struggled a little bit down the stretch of the season before the tournament. Oh, are you talking about Nevada? Or, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm th- sorry. You're getting crossed Nevada. up there? Yeah, okay. that's Nevada. I'm getting my brain <laughs> in a pretzel. Yeah, I mean. Way you, too you, much information this week. And yeah, way too much talking on uh, every medium that will have me on. <laughs> Yeah, well... Um, but, yeah, no, they, they beat Tulane handily, and they struggled a little bit down the stretch of the season, but then they got their mojo back for the conference tournament. So you have to think they're playing, you know, at at their peak at this point in time, which is a scary thought because, one, the Sun Belt, I don't overly consider a low major. Like, generally, what's surprising is this team's a 15 seed. Because yeah. usually the Sun Belt is a 13-14 seed in that area. And the conference has a regular history of winning games in the NCAA tournament, winning first-round games in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, Western Kentucky used to be in that league, and, and they did it as well. But you look at their – they lost four out of six down the stretch of the regular season, and they gave up, they gave up over 80 or 83 or more right. in all those losses. But – you could also look at their conference tournament and say, in the championship game, they beat Texas Arlington, who I think was a potential scary first-round opponent for somebody if they were able to get in. And then you could also say, well, they didn't have to play the the number one seed in their conference tournament, but back on February 8th, they did play Louisiana Lafayette and beat them by 14. And that was right. at home, but they scored 106 on them. So, I mean, it, it's, it's just one of those teams that's scary because they, they can – they can get buckets in a hurry, and a lot of them are three pointers. And they have a guy that is going to is going to draw a lot of attention when he has the ball in Demarcus Simons. So it's just like LD said today. If you listen to my interview with him, that it's the whole team's going to have to guard Simons, and I think that the main focus is just to stay in front of him. And if he does happen to get downhill or beat you, let the let the help at the rim deal with him. Don't help off those shooters and give him easy lanes to pass to guys they can just line up and shoot. If you don't let guys catch with room that they can just, you know, line it up and shoot it, then you have a better chance. Because the, the, they, they played a – the best defense they played, according to Ken Palm, was Montana this year. And they their best five, four three-point shooters shot five for 17 in that game. So they can be corralled. Yeah, and – one thing that you know we've talked about leading up to this, they have not played near the defense that Cincinnati is is going to show them, like you just said. And you have to think Cincinnati is going to be more than aware that they're a team that wants to spread you out and just fire up threes. Like 
there's going to be a lot of emphasis this week, yesterday, today, tomorrow, on making sure you run those guys off the line, no matter how, you know, no matter what situation you're you're in. Don't let them just line up and and shoot it with your hand down. Yeah, the hand down thing is very key because we saw in the championship game, at least in the first half, that their hands were down against Corey Davis multiple times and Rob Gray, and he made them pay. Both of them made them pay. But I think this is just one of those games where you you expect to see Trayvon Scott a lot. It's just if if, if Washington is uh, iffy with the ball on offense or if he's just a liability on defense, and in a situation like this with teams like this, there's a, a likelihood that that's a, a possibility, then – they're going to have to go with with Clark and Trayvon Scott, and then that way they can just switch anything they want, and they can they can make can trust any of the five people on the floor to, to contest on the perimeter. At least if that if this team gets a flow going and, and they get into a rhythm, then that way you just make sure that you can get a hand up on on any shooter at any at any point. Yeah, and if you prevent them from getting clean looks, especially early, don't let them get into a rhythm. I think you're going to be in a good spot. I know, you know, just from talking to people around the program, they feel like this Georgia State team is as tough as either team that they could potentially face in the second round. So I know there, there's no there's no looking ahead. Um, I don't believe, at least from what I've seen and from what I've heard, I don't believe there's any looking ahead in this group in terms of who do we play in the set. Like, what you know, what do we have to do to get to the second weekend? they know they've got to win this game first because it's not going to be a pushover. Yeah, and you got veterans on this team. A lot of guys have been around, so I think they, they understand that's how to, t- how to approach this game. Absolutely. I mean, you would hope that carries you very far. Um, I don't know. You got anything else on Georgia State? No, I think uh, just try not to be at least in my case try not to be too worried about it and just trust that the Bearcats are going to play their game and do the best they can like grandma Ruthie says and <laughs> hopefully they come out on top and uh, we have uh, you know the Sunday matchup to look forward to let's talk about that one a little bit just because we won't uh, don't believe we'll we'll have a podcast between now and then maybe we'll try to get something up if uh, we'll both be down in Nashville on Saturday um Maybe the two of us will try to find a way to get a little uh, something short up um, while we're down there, if possible. But um, Nevada or Texas, which which is your preference at this point? Man, I I've gone back and forth on this so many times. I really don't know. I, both teams present issues, and I think I I told you this the other day that if you combine these teams together, you would have a really scary opponent. And the reason being, Texas has big guys that can bother Gary and Kyle down low. They've got Mo Bamba, who everyone knows is you know, like Godzilla. Um, he's 6'11 with a 7'9 wingspan. And then they have a guy, um, Jericho Sims, off the bench who's 6'9, very, very athletic. And then Dylan Osikowski is just a big, wide-bodied dude who will just, if you put him on Kyle or Gary, he'll just push them out of their spots. So I should be it, familiar with him a little bit because he was at yeah. Tulane. But yeah, but the point being that you you worry when you play teams that can bother what what Kyle and Gary like to establish inside because if you see can't play inside out, it becomes a lot harder for them to score. So that would scare you. But then you look on the other side of the ball and Texas is three hundred and twenty eighth and three point percentage. So 
you know, they're very one dimensional offensively and they have a quick point guard and everything. So you're, you'd be concerned with, and he, but he's only a freshman. Um, I know you like him, Matt Coleman. He's a lefty. Yeah. A guy so, that you see tried to get involved yeah. with a lot, but never really got any footing because he was being recruited by Texas and Duke and yeah, quite a few of the uh, larger names in the sport. Right. So, I mean, you, you've got, I, I don't like matching up with anybody where I don't feel like Gary and Kyle can get things done inside. Um, and then on the other side, you, you play Nevada, who is a very soft defensive team. They don't have a true rim protector. They play four, six, seven guys all at the same time. And um, you would think that, that Gary and Kyle should be able to do some damage. And that they're not a good defensive rebounding team, but they're a hell of an offensive team that can light you up from all over the court, spread you out. Um, they've got a lot of dynamic offensive talent. So, you know, I, I know you you probably would lean towards a team. You, you don't like facing a team that has more offensive talent, but um, I don't know about the Texas game because I feel like it would just be such a slugfest that if a couple th- weird things happen here and there, then we have a close game at the very end and then anything could happen. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think – with Nevada's point guard being out, I lean more towards Nevada. Yep, me too. Now the you know the interesting thing with Nevada is why is that such a bad defense and rebounding team when every player on the floor is six seven? They just don't. They're just I don't know. They just don't. It doesn't look like they play that hard on defense. Like it's just it's a very soft, not much ball pressure. Some coaches just don't really put a huge emphasis on that side of the ball, and it just doesn't look like they 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 really held accountable on the on the defense and rebounding side, like Cincinnati or some other teams. Like Texas is, you know, good on that side of the ball. So that would be my guess. I mean, they have all those six seven dudes, but if you watch them, it's a very very West Coast kind of soft type of game that they play. They like to shoot a lot of jumpers and look pretty and things like that. And on defense, they just don't really get up in anybody's face, and I don't see them really being too strong as far as blocking out. Yeah. Um, the the Texas thing, I just – I don't like, love the idea of playing a, a top five NBA draft pick. Now, Mo Bamba isn't exactly uh, an offensive force per se, but still – it doesn't uh, make me feel warm and fuzzy inside thinking that, you know, the the other team has got a guy that, that can be as, as dominant and make as much impact on a game as Mo Bamba. I don't love that. That, that, doesn't, no. that doesn't make me feel good. No, I mean, he's a 60% two-point field goal shooter, so he can convert. And he's, he's a really good rebounder on both sides, and he's a, he's a hell of a shot blocker. I mean, how can you not be if you're 6'11 with a 7'9 wingspan? Right. So, yeah, that's just, again, that, when when you worry about UC not being able to get layups or, or free throws, really, against Texas, they don't foul much either. So then you're you're back to, well, can UC make jump shots and potentially not get that many offensive rebounds with that dude in there and Osikowski and the, and the Jericho Sims kid. Right. I mean, they're not, they're not an incredible defensive rebounding team, Texas, but, I mean, they, I'm sure they would be motivated enough to box out. Now, they're very small in the perimeter, but they're quick and, and – you know, they, they, they pose a lot of problems. And I just, like I said, I mean, that, that, the, the pace and the fact that you're, if you're trying to score and not be able to get anything inside and possession type of grind fest, um, going up against that type of team would, would, 
probably scare me more than going against Nevada, who is basically, if you watch them, it's like if you ever watch an NBA game, like you're watching the Cavs, and J.R. Smith comes down the first three possessions and just shoots 30 footers off one pass just to see if he's hot. Like that's how they play offense. And they all, and Eric Musselman would just tell all of his guys, they don't even crash the offensive boards at the beginning. It's so funny. It's just like the NBA. So I, I just would rather try to match up with that and then be able to do anything I wanted against their defense than have to try to operate against Texas's defense the whole 40 minutes. Yeah, the one thing that I think that there is one common theme with all of these teams that are in this little pod is Cincinnati's depth is a huge advantage over all of them. True. Um, Georgia State really only goes, what, seven? Yeah. Nevada only goes basically six now, right? They play a seventh guy, but really there's only six that they rely on heavily. And then, obviously, Texas is – Numbers are short with with Andrew Jones uh, battling leukemia, and they lost him for the year. And then Eric Davis, uh, my favorite Cincinnati Reds player in history. Yeah, they have Uh, two center fielders out, Andrew Jones and Eric Davis. Yeah. Eric Davis was awesome. I know. I mean, how can you – if he wouldn't have had so many injuries, man, loved him. I could emulate his stance perfectly. With or, the bat- Im- imitate, imitate. Yeah, it was really like I, I think the the thing you learned as a kid was man, it was really hard to hit with your hands moving like that, and then trying to generate any bat speed. He was incredible. Yeah, yeah, have to offense, have the wrists. Offense, defense, bases. Oh man, I love me some Eric the Red, but Eric Davis is out because of the FBI investigation. Yeah, the Tex- Texas Eric Davis. The and he was a – yeah, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say he's a 6'3 guard junior, and then Andrew Jones was a 6'3 sophomore who was their best offensive player as far as Ken Palm offensive rating. And then Mo Bamba has been dealing with um, a toe injury. They say he's back to 100%, but, you know – for for big men, you know, six eleven guy with a, a foot slash toe injury, not ideal. Especially in, when you're playing a team like Nevada in the first round, where he's gonna have to be chasing around dudes all the time. Yeah, and running up and down the floor. Well, it's a little easier for him because he's got a seven foot nine wingspan, so he can challenge jump shots from like twelve feet. That's true. <laughs> I don't know how much you've watched of them. Texas, yeah, yeah, I've seen them quite a bit this year. I, I watched them in the the PK eighty when they almost beat Duke and Gonzaga, and they just happened to blow it at the end of both of those games. And his length is just freakish. It is. He, he it's it's like a it's like a, a thinner a few inches, but Taco Fall. But as far as like the reaches are going to be about the same as Tacos would be. Yeah, he's he's what four inches shorter and has about the same wingspan. Yeah, and he can hit a face up jumper too. He's, Which is another thing. He's a, he's a sweet player. I mean, he's he's gone after this year. This is yeah. his last. You know, this is his run here. So he's going to be pretty motivated. All right, and then uh, hopefully we get two wins this weekend and uh, advance on to the Sweet Sixteen, where we'll uh, we'll pick up from there uh, with next week's podcast. Hopefully. Um, very much looking forward to another preview podcast next week and not a uh, season 
slash wrap up career yeah. wrap up. I'm not ready for that yet. No, not ready for that. There's been some, and I heard Mick on um, on Doug Gottlieb yesterday, and Ugh. and 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 Doug asked him about Jacob Evans. He said, "Ah, he's fine." And uh, we did find out that he did practice today. So obviously, if he doesn't practice, then there's reason to be concerned. But did he practice yesterday too? Yeah. Okay. So he's practiced both days. He jammed his finger. I mean, it's a it's a pain. But it's something you should be able to, to play through. Um, I don't think that that – I think his issues right now are just more mental. I think he needs to relax. I think he is uh, tensed up. And maybe a, a little bit, you know, just kind of uh, applying unnecessary pressure to himself. The bright side of that, and we did get to – peek in on a little bit of practice today before they hit the road for Nashville. I'm starting to think Jaron Cumberland might be the guy to lead this team really, really far in this tournament. Yeah. You and me both, man. He, the, the way, what we saw in Orlando and we saw a little today. I mean, just, he's the best passer on this team. Yeah. He's the, he's the best creator. He may be the best pure scorer at this point too. And and I'd be fine with just running almost everything through him. If you Especially notice, when, yeah. most of the half-court stuff has been run through him over the past probably three weeks. Yep. So He's, they have transitioned to that more and more and more and more. So I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw again, much like last year, he turns out to be the guy at tournament time that this team kind of leans on to be their kind of their pulse, their heartbeat. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but last year going into the tournament or maybe it was, it was leading up to the tournament might not have been right before, but, but I was saying that it seemed like he might be the team's best offensive player. And that was back then just all around and he's taken it to another level with his playmaking. He was always a good creator for others. You drive and dish and things like that. But um, some of the plays that he made in Orlando were, were next level stuff with the ball, finding guys cutting and just cross court stuff. And, and how the pass to Kyle Washington, yeah, the pass one to, in the Houston yeah. game. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was the one he, he, he slipped and fell and kept his dribble alive and kicked it out perfectly into the shooting pocket. His, his, you just look at, the passes that other people make. And I don't know if I would include um, Jacob and Gary in this, but, but pretty much everybody else. And then Jaron's passes are just different. They're just, they're, they, he pops them. They're right in the shooting pocket. They're on time on target. And I, I, he, the assists that he got were be probably in large part because of that, that he, the timing and where the passes were. And so, yeah, I mean, I think you, you have to look at him as a as a potential point forward type of scenario with the, with with this run coming up because that's you got I mean you got, you got to like Mick said you got to score seventy plus in this term you got to find a way to get the my buddy Andy came up with like seventy three is kind of their magic number and you feel like if they can get to that number it's going to be very very tough to beat them you start playing with stuff in the sixties and you're not shooting well and you're not you're stagnant offensively stuff like that and then you're playing with fire and Anybody can jump up and beat you at that point. Yeah. Um, Nashville. Lovely Nashville. 
<laughs> it's going to be an interesting week in 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 Nashville, I think. Um, one, you know, the, the entire city of Cincinnati is converging uh, on one town. For I, I don't think this has ever happened before, has it? To my knowledge, not that I, not that I can remember. No, that X and UC were in the same spot, and on top of that, it's a year where X and UC are a one seed and a two seed. So two very good teams, two very good chances of winning both games in Nashville, sending both teams or both uh, fan bases up I seventy one happy. Um, but I let, like I I get a kick out of this whole like. There's going to be fights all up and down Broad Street or Broadway. No, there's going to be a lot of s talking. That's for sure. Yeah, you can. They, you can uh, say, we're a one you seed. You're yeah. only a two. We beat you by thirteen. I'm sure that's what X fans will say. And then UC will come back with how many Final Fours have you been to? I mean, the thing about it is, is the arena is right at the end of Broadway. There, right? So Correct. there was like six hundred bars and clubs and and music establishments and stuff like. All there, like three full blocks of plenty of places to get alcohol in your system. Here's the thing. Close your eyes. Envision, if you will, the camera panning through the audience at a Xavier game. Okay? You with me? Yes. Take a look at all the faces. How many of those people are really down to fight? Uh, two or three. Like, they're 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 very angry people in their gym when there's no pushback, when they can be as nasty and vile and mean as they want and say what they want and throw things and and do whatever it is that they do in that place over there. But how many of those people are really about that life? Where they're ready to just fight on the street in Nashville and go to jail? <laughs> Now, on the UC side, now this is this is 2018. I go back to 20 years ago when I was in college, and if you're asking me about UC students then, fighting-wise, I would say the percentage is gigantic of people that would have no problem getting into a fight. I don't know what the current culture or, um, I don't know, uh, bravado of this student body is, but I think compared to Xavier at least, that you would think that the fights would be more likely if, if they are instigated um, by Xavier, that UC would actually take it to the fighting stages. Yes, it would be the equivalent, hypothetically speaking, of someone saying, I'm going to kill you, and then you showing up at their dorm room, kicking down the door and beating them up. Yeah. just a hypo- That's a hypothetical. Right. Purely a hypothetical situation. Not that a situation like that has ever happened. No. But it, and it would hypothetically be similar to that. Now, the the situation in Nashville could it just depends on what what happens in this certain scenario where how many Xavier students are there or Xavier fans are there versus how many UC fans. I mean, if Xavier outnumbers them, they would probably end up with a little more bravado. I don't know that There's UC no fans that UC Xavier fans would not. Fans. Well, I'm saying like just in one setting, like in one bar, let's say yeah. there's a bar where Xavier has 15 fans and there's like three UC fans sitting there and that somebody says something and the drinks are flowing. And the next thing you know, there's a full blown argument 
And then somebody says, one guy says, says drink down, which means let's do this. Would it be the Xavier guy or the UC guy? It Probably would be the, the UC, UC guy. guy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the Xavier guy's setting his drink down. I, I don't either. So <laughs> that's just like I've laughed all week, especially, you know, the, the blowhard that I do a bunch of other media stuff with. <laughs> they portrayed this image that like Xavier fans are going down there to fight UC fans. Give me a No, you're not. You're not fooling anybody with that crap. I know what your crowd looks like. I've blocked most of you on Twitter. <laughs> I see I see your Twitter avatar before I block you. You're not about that life. You're not about getting beat up and spending the night in jail and missing the game on Sunday. Now, here's another side of this that I don't know anyone's really talked about yet, is that you know the teams are going to be staying in Nashville. Really and far I know, apart. I know, but I'm sure that I know the coaches are going to have uh, – very tight security on their players, but which team has a player or two that would potentially sneak out and get into some trouble. Now that would probably be Xavier. The Bearcats are staying at, I think Opryland. So they're like 20 minutes away. Right. Xavier is staying downtown. Hmm. Okay. So I'll leave that up for interpretation to answer your question. I'm just saying there, the, the, the past, the past would say that there's some yes. guys on their team. Well, because I, in this day, in this day and age, the UC guys are the ones that have been keeping their noses clean, and the Xavier ones have been the ones showing up on the newspaper. The UC guys are going to have to Uber from 20 minutes away to get to Broadway. No, so and I'm, I, not, I'm not concerned about that. No, and I bet you that this current crop of UC players. When they have downtime, they're going to be studying the opponent they're going to play. I have a feeling that yeah. they are they are as locked in as could be, and they're not going to mess around. And Xavier may get a little overconfident. Ah, sorry, let me sneak out. JP Makura or you know somebody else. I, I here's a great story. This stays on between us on this podcast. Okay, everybody. <laughs> Just so 2012. They win that first game against Texas, and um, I knew a guy at the time that was uh, in the rotation as one of the mascots. So he was the Bearcat. So after the game, um, I believe that was an afternoon game too, wasn't it? I think they played in the first session. The Texas game, yeah, it was an afternoon game, yeah. So after the game, like, you know, him and a, a couple of his buddies that are cheerleaders or whatever get all G'd up and... They got invited over to uh, a couple uh, parties at Vanderbilt. And they're thinking, all right, going to be a good night. going to be a good night in Nashville. And they're at a party and um, checking out a couple girls, you know, ready to do their college thing. And in walks a couple guys, a couple tall guys in red and black jumpsuits. I don't know who they were specifically. No, the, the innocent will remain nameless. And these guys were like, great. That's it. We got no shot. And the girls they were talking to, of course, uh, gravitated towards the uh, 6'5 guys in in red and black jumpsuits and partied with them for the rest of the night. (laughs) So probably probably a good thing not to be... uh, Although that that weekend turned out pretty good. For everybody, including the two guys that were in red and black jumpsuits, I would assume. (laughs) In in more ways than one, 
more yes. than likely. That, that's what I was getting at. In more ways than yeah. one, it was a very good yeah. weekend for everybody involved. Um, now, God, just going to say back to basketball for a second that Texas is 38th in Ken Palm and, and Nevada is 24th and UC is fourth. So not that it's impossible to lose those teams, but I mean, that's a pretty wide margin. Like that's, I'm just saying, so it would, it would take, it would take an effort. It would take a, uh, one of UC's worst games of the season and the other team would have to play their absolute best. So I don't know if I see that now. One more thing on Georgia State would be that we've seen UC this year have certain games where the other team got really hot. Cleveland State comes to mind right before Christmas, and uh, Tulsa, of course, on Senior Day, and I guess you would say um, Wichita State, but they were just more like surgically carving up um, UC's D. But I think what to look for is that see Cincinnati has plan a plan like they have a plan b and a plan c defensively so if 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 georgia state starts getting a little roll going they can say okay like mick and say all right i'll put in trayvon scott or i'll i'll change up how we're defending or whatever the case is like i don't know that georgia state would have a plan b if cincinnati gets a roll going that's what i'd like to see and and some of these other teams as well so and i think uc also has a plan b and c on offense like if you take away their interior, then you have a Cumberland and you have some other options. So that bodes well. I mean, of course, you could worry, stay up all night worrying every night until Friday, which I haven't been doing. I'll admit I've been sleeping pretty well. But there's times where and, you know, Chad has seen me or talked to me on the phone where <laughs> just talk myself into being paranoid somehow usually, about something. Usually twice a week. Yeah. Because there's two games a week, so, you know. But the, but the spike in the worry happens, and then then I'll then I'll find some way to say, ah, eh, well, I, I still trust that UC is going to be prepared, and they're going to they're going to maximum effort, and they've got veterans, and they're going to do the best they can. So you can worry all you want about a team coming. I mean, you would have to basically worry about uh, George State coming in and shooting like sixteen for twenty from three. I mean, that's like the that, that would be the thing that you'd be like, well, what are you supposed to do? And that then you get upset. But that's the, the likelihood of that is very, very low. So it's not even worth worrying about it. And yes, of course, it could happen in any game of the tournament. 16 seed could shoot 16 for 19 from three and maybe beat a one seed one day. So just any game is going to cause some anxiety. But um, in the I know the coach at staff, seven o'clock. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know the, the coaching the, staff, the, the coaching staff's on it. The players are on it. They're on a mission, and uh, they're going to go down there and, and give it everything they got. Yeah, I'm. I'm confident in this bunch because I think it's a mature bunch. It, it, it's they're going to take it very seriously. Uh, the one thing I like, we can't obviously because of you know practice is closed and we're not talking about the goings on at practice. I walked out today feeling pretty good. Um. I know you worry about everything, so you walked out today worrying about things. But <laughs> from the number of practices I've seen this year, I thought the focus and the attention to detail today was was good. Um, I think Mick is is very dialed in on on reassuring that that attention to detail is exactly where he wants it. But like going into that that two game stretch. Um, 
at Houston and then Wichita State at home. I walked out of practice that week and I didn't feel good. It just felt like they had, their their brains had drifted a little bit. And I didn't walk out today with that feeling. I thought they were dialed in. So that's really all we can get into on the practice front. I just I, I felt like he had their attention. If they started to to drift a little bit, he quickly got them uh, got them dialed back in. And I think they're in a good spot mentally. I think that bodes well for what we see in Nashville this weekend. I'll go with that. So you're going down Saturday. You'll meet me there Saturday for the uh, open media session, correct? Yeah, that's what I'm planning on doing. I'll leave first thing Saturday morning. Granted, they win Friday. And what what, what are you going to do Friday? Just lock yourself in the house and pop a couple Xanax and hope it goes okay? <laughs> well, the timing actually sets up that the game starts at 2 and we have an ultrasound scheduled at four. Ooh. Now, the doctor who we're going to meet with at four is actually he's going to deliver us. He actually is a, a um, UC booster. So he so he's a huge fan. So I don't know what that means for him. If he's going to reschedule, I haven't heard anything. I, I don't know if I'm going to show up there and he's going to have the game on in his office. I'm just I'm hoping that UC has the game in hand with like whatever it is, eight, 10 minutes to go. And then I can just listen to it. It's like 15 minute drive. I can listen to it on the radio as I'm heading to the doctor's office. Otherwise I told my wife that if it's a nail biter, I don't know what I'm going to do. You may not see me. <laughs> may send, have to not go look at my send, baby in your send belly. Her, send her to the doctor by herself. Bring me a picture. Well, I mean, <laughs> what, this will be like the third or fourth ultrasound, right? Like, you know what, what what's going on in there. No, I know, but I guess it's it's a matter of being there, number one, but number two, talking to the doctor because it's coming down the stretch here, and this is our first, so I don't, I'd rather hear what the doctor has to say about certain things than try to get it secondhand. But and she can put I you on speaker. That's true, and I can just call him up and talk. I can just go see him anytime I want and ask him. I'm sure he'll want to talk about the game anyway. He's always hitting me up for for uh, thoughts on, on the team, so – I know it's just it's just a weird timing, but I'm just hoping that hey, we figure them out by the you know the second half and and we're up by 14 or 15 and there's like eight minutes to go and I'm like all right I can I can leave and just listen to to Dan and Terry on the way over there and then you know you might have fine. to stop by his office tomorrow and be like what do you think about five <laughs> how does five yeah. work out for you <laughs> yeah again I don't I'm interested to see what he does. Because uh, he know, may well, just gotta he, be, he, he got to be proactive. I know, but he may be DVRing the game, and then he doesn't want to hear about it. And, you know, it could be one of those scenarios. So it'll be it'll be interesting. But that's that's I, it's incredible. That's how it timed out. So that's what that's what I'll be doing. So wow. I'll be here by myself, pretty much like the Wichita State game, standing up in front of my TV and yelling a lot, and then having to hop in my car at three forty-five, praying that the game is in hand by then. Well, I will be in Nashville. Uh, I'm heading down tomorrow evening, so I won't be at the uh, the live or the open practice, unfortunately. Um, but I will be down there tomorrow night. I'll be there, obviously, for uh, for everything on Friday. <clears throat> so we will have you covered wall-to-wall. Brian Baker, our uh, wonderful photographer, um, who is very busy these days but has carved out his weekend 
to make the trip to Nashville. He will be there as well, so we will have all the sights and sounds. Like I said, Berg will be joining me on Saturday to help double-team the uh, locker room and press conferences, uh, all of that good stuff uh, for you guys. And then hopefully uh, wins on Friday, wins on Sunday. Come back, get ready for the, uh, the Sweet 16, and resume spring football practice, which will start back up. We're going to have to talk about that with Coach Fickle. I don't like this this spring practice going on during the NCAA tournament. Not a very big yeah. fan. No. I luckily, wouldn't I wouldn't be. Luckily it's in the morning and those games are all at night. So, you know, you're not like I was, you know, I I made it home um the first round of the AAC tournament. We had practice that morning and the game tipped at noon. I walked back in my house at 11:59 a.m. Wow. So by the time I got to my office and set up, I think I missed the first minute of the game uh, against SMU. But ultimately, I, I barely made it in time. But I made it in time. Yeah. So. And and should Cincinnati get to that second weekend, the top seed in the region suffered a devastating injury yesterday to – well, it, it happened before, but they announced it yesterday to Virginia's sixth man, DeAndre Hunter. I'm sure you heard this, but if you haven't, he is out for the tournament, and he was a big difference maker for them, which means that if Cincinnati gets through to the regional final, there's a pretty good chance it won't be Virginia that they'll be facing. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be tough for Virginia anyway. They got they got the shaft pretty hard. Like, if you're, if you're the number one overall seed, having Kentucky and Arizona as the four and five, like, maybe – if Kentucky and Arizona are the two and three and you avoid them until the elite eight, that's okay. But they got two teams that, that have NCAA title, if not title, certainly final four type talent. And Virginia is going to have to go through one of them in the sweet 16. I would not be thrilled with that draw if I was Virginia. And then on top of that, Hunter gets hurt. So now they're down and he was six man of the year in the ACC, but he was basically like a six starter. Um, over 20 minutes a game. And for them to lose 10 points a game is significant because of yeah. the pace, because of the, you know, the, 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 the number of possessions in a game. For that, you know, if you're averaging 10 points a game for Virginia, that's equivalent to 12, 13 points a game for most other teams. And he was also very effective on the, the defensive end because yeah. he could guard a lot of different positions. So just a, a huge blow to them. And they already had a tough road as it was, like you said. So that's just some news in the region. And if Cincinnati does get through this first pod here, um, they'll be in Atlanta. So, you know, it's a, a, a favorable trip, same time zone and all that stuff for, for the Bearcats and their fans. And then if they get through that, it'll be a nice chance for Jacob Evans to showcase right in Greg Popovich's hometown. You don't want to have to leave his hometown to scout him. <laughs> <laughs> And Gary uh, Clark. I think Gary Clark would look nicely in his San Antonio Spurs uniform. So, I think that's about all we've got, correct? Yeah, I'd, I'd just say that uh, I've never covered the NCAA tournament before, so this is it, it, it's uh, very exciting, also a little anxiety, just because it seems like it could be overwhelming. So I'm glad that you'll be there to coach me through it. But uh, is there anything I, I need to know, anything that's crazy about it that uh, 
maybe the average person wouldn't know? Uh, well, I will let you know. The first NCAA tournament I covered was the 2012 tournament in Nashville, and they made it to the Sweet 16. So hopefully we can bring some of that mojo back. Um, no, I mean, it's, you know, from a from a media standpoint, it's a lot of running around. Um, you know, your, your timing depends on how much you want to spend watching the other games. Um, I would guess, you know, usually by the time we get done with all of the things that we have to do, the other game is pretty much at halftime. Um, so I would guess I, I, I might stick around for a little bit of Nevada and tech or, uh, Texas. I can't imagine I'd be there for a ton of it. Yeah. And then just like the day that I'm going to get there on that Saturday where it's just kind of like teams are practicing and they're but just the difference there is locker room and Thursday, the practice is open to the public. Like that's the big, you know, everybody comes in and gets to watch their team practice. Um, Saturday, the practices are closed because it's the actual like team practice for the day. Um, so there's no media access to practice practice on Saturday. Um, and then, you know, you get, you get coach Cronin and you get a couple players and then the locker room is open and you can, you know, you, you can get a bunch of content with the team. Um, that's, you know, pretty standard. I am guessing Dave is trying to set something up to where maybe we can uh, meet up with some members and uh, watch some games uh, on Saturday when we get done with all of our obligations. Um, but I don't, man, that Saturday is going to be a zoo. St. Patrick's yeah. Day in Nashville. Oh, man. So I don't know how even willing I'm going to be to deal with downtown Nashville on Saturday. I am yeah. not a... Uh, I have I have grown out of that scene. It's, yeah, madhouse in every establishment. I'm sure. I, I my goal would be on Saturday at the media is to talk to one of the whichever assistant has the scout for whichever team that they are matched up with. Should they get there? Yeah, like I did like I did with LD today, and just try to get some good insight on that. It's, it's always interesting to see what their thoughts are. I know they don't share everything, but yeah, that would be my goal. And then yeah, I think I'll I'll have to. Figure out where to park. That's one thing. Um, no clue. The biggest thing that I can give you, the biggest tip I can give you there for, and this, we probably should just talk about this off the air, but um, Nissan Arena, which is another arena in town. It's outside downtown. You can park there, and there's shuttles that'll bring you over for free. Nice. There's media shuttles. So, All right, not, that, well, not that anybody here but us has any yeah. need for that information, but... <laughs> um, that's the best way to do it instead of trying to find a place to park downtown and dealing with the traffic and all the chaos that's going to be down there. Cause it is St. Patrick's day weekend in Nashville. I'm certain is already a wild deal. And then you mix in, you know, an extra 20,000 people. Um, it's going to be a crazy weekend, very much going to be a crazy weekend, but we will be there. We will, uh, we will have wall to wall coverage. Berg, yeah, I, I, your blood. Do you have like blood pressure medication so you don't like freak out? Like, I, I need to keep you calm. Well, uh, oh, you mean you, at when I'm when I'm at the game? You just mean? in general, yeah. Oh, yeah. See, that's the thing. I'll tell you that right now that I'm concerned about, especially a second round game, do or die game. 
I, I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to hold my emotions in the check, although it may help me to have to. I may just have to go back to the reggae like I did with the Xavier game two year, last year. That might have to be the deal. I'm going to have to be meditating and using reggae and stuff like that or else I could get this, us in some serious trouble because <laughs> this is real stuff. This isn't like at BB&T Arena where right. I'm like getting excited when Keith Williams dunks one or something. Like this is – I got to actually act – like the media. So. If anyone has a taser, they can bring for me. <laughs> I might need to just zap him every once every like you know eight minutes. Just zzz. all right, he's good. He's good. Yeah. Well, I'll do the best I can. I, I, I probably will need the taser though. If anybody can bring me one, that'd be much appreciated. But that's gonna wrap it up. Um, everybody, have a safe trip down. We will see you down there. I'm expecting a very large contingent of Bearcat fans in Nashville uh, hitting town Thursday and then rolling through until Sunday night, hopefully when the Bearcats advance to the second Sweet 16 of the McCronin era. So, Berg, appreciate it. I'll see you on Saturday in Nashville. Good work today. And, everybody, thanks for listening. I'm Chad Brendel. He's Justin Berg. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com.